All right, we're looking at Psalm 88, uh, verses 1 through 18. Let's give our attention to God's Word. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to the Mahalath Leonoth, a mascal of Haman the Ezraite. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Are your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors. I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. The Bible says that all men are like grass and that all of man's glory is like the flower of the field. And the grass withers and flowers fade away, but God's word stands forever. So let me pray for us before we talk about it more tonight. Heavenly Father, as we, as we come to this psalm that is so difficult and so dark and so despondent and so hopeless, Father, we need your help. Uh, we need your help to understand it. Uh, we need you to be at work. Uh, to make sense of this for us. We need you to be at work to make sense of ourselves. Father, would you be here tonight by your Holy Spirit? Would you work, certainly in spite of my sins, would you work in spite of all of our sins? Uh, Would you cause us to hear you? Cause us to believe you? Uh, Maybe even in the midst of the darkness. And maybe for the first time. And Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, has, has anybody seen the movie Office Space? Any, all right, one and a half, it seems like. All right, so like 20 years ago, this would have been an awesome illustration. <laughs> Maybe not so much now. I think you'll get the idea. Office Space, okay. Um, so it was sort of 
The Office. It's a movie, but it was sort of The Office before The Office. Okay, um, it was. It's basically a. Uh, it makes fun of, pokes fun at sort of the, the corporate dynamic, right? Um, corporate culture and the office dynamics. And one of the characters, she's sort of a, a, a sub character, but one of the characters is a, a lady named Nina. And this is the lady in the office that's always happy. Like, always cheery and everything's awesome and right, there's no problems. You're right, even on Monday morning, she's just, you know, cat posters, right? The whole bit, right? Always happy. And uh, one of the, uh, you know, sort of memorable lines is it's Monday morning, like 8 o'clock, people are dragging in the office, and Peter is the main character. And, yeah, you know, he looks like sort of what you would think on a Monday morning. You're just sitting down to work. He's not real fired up about his corporate job. And she comes over all cheery, and she says, oh, looks like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. Right? And he just wants to punch her. Um, And it's a a caricature of somebody that you probably know somebody like that. Um, And in some ways, I think it serves as a decent illustration of what we tend to think Christians are supposed to be like. Uh, what, what Sort of the picture of what Christ, how Christians are supposed to feel, right? I think there can be that idea that Christians are supposed to be happy, happy, happy all the time, 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 right? Because I've got the joy, 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 joy. Where? Down right, down in my heart. Where? No, I'm kidding. No, Stop. Um, we just had more audience participation in like those 30 seconds than like for two years. Oh, yeah. um, all right, but the problem with that, with that caricature of the Christian life, right, it was just always, you know, happy, 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 uh, is that it just doesn't square with real life, right? That's just not what real life is like. Uh, there are a lot of times when things are happy, um, but there are occasions when things, right, there are times when things aren't happy, and there are some times when things are really dark, There are times in life, uh, in the Christian life even, where things feel, quite frankly, hopeless. Uh, Where there's no light, it doesn't seem like. And that's what this psalm is about. Uh, If you've been with us this semester, you know we're studying through the psalms. And uh, we say each week that our theme is dealing with feeling. Because psalms are, uh, are songs, and songs traffic in emotion, right? Uh, they, uh, songs can help us to understand our own emotions. They can help us express our emotions the way we feel. Uh, they can also help shape how we feel. Uh, they help us deal, in a sense, with our feelings. Uh, and, and psalms certainly do the same thing. And so this psalm, I think, helps us deal with if and when we experience uh, what... What a lot of people have called a dark night of the soul. When we experience hopelessness. And so look, on the front end, right, I think you see just, of course, from reading it, that Psalm 88 is a, it's a difficult psalm in a lot of ways. Um, it is without, without question the darkest and saddest psalm of the 150 that we have. Um, all of the other, uh, what we would call lament psalms, where uh, the, the author is lamenting some sort of suffering, you know, tragedy, hardship, 
uh, all of the other ones, they tend to have some sort of note of confidence at the end. Uh, basically, you know, it's the, the psalmist says, uh, the bulk of the song is like, my enemies are after me, life is hard, I feel overwhelmed, and whatever. And then uh, we'll come around at the end and say, but I know that God is with me, or you know, something like that. But this psalm doesn't have that. Right? This psalm, this, the last word, even in the Hebrew, in this psalm is darkness. There's no, there's no ray of light that gets in. It just ends. It, it, it ends, in some ways, I wanted to work this as an illustration, but it ends as badly as Lost did. It, like, I don't know what to do with it but a lot darker. So what do we do with it? Um, what do we do with that? And, and why would this song be in the Psalms? All right, so we're going to look at three things tonight. Uh, we're going to see, we're going to look at what the psalmist feels. Secondly, we're going to look at what the psalmist does. And thirdly, and finally, we'll see what the psalmist can't quite see. All right, so first, what the psalmist feels. All right, so we have to say we don't know the exact situation that uh, this psalmist is experiencing, what he's facing. Uh, we don't know the, the details, but we definitely know how he feels about it. We know, what this, we know what his experience of it has been like because it's all throughout the psalm. And what's clear is that he is in a really, really dark place in life. And he doesn't see any hope of it changing. Uh, look at verse 3 and verse 15. Uh, we see that he feels like, he at least feels like, and he might actually be physically dying. We're not sure. He at least feels like he is. He's physically afflicted. Verse 3, he's deeply troubled. In verse 8, he talks about how he feels trapped. He feels hemmed in. Verse 9, uh, he's obviously very tired and incredibly sad. Um, verse 8 and 18, we see that he feels very alone. Uh, not completely sure if everyone has really abandoned him, or he at least feels like it. His family and his friends, they've all, they've all left. He's alone. Um, he feels absolutely overwhelmed by life. You can look at verse 7 and verse 17. He talks about it's like water just overwhelming him. Waves coming over him. In verse 15, you see that this has been going on for a really long time. So he basically just feels like the hits just keep coming. It's been heartache after heartache after heartache. And there's no sign of it stopping. And on top of all of that, we get the, we get the uh, picture that he feels that God is the one causing all of it. He feels very distant from God. He feels like God is not, God doesn't even listen to what he prays. And he's the one causing it. He feels like God's mad at him. Look at verse 6. You have put me in the depth, you have put me in the depths of the pit. Verse 7. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. Verse 14. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? 
So he's absolutely miserable in every way, physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. His world has crashed down around him, and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. Have you ever felt like that? You might actually feel like that right now. Um, Or you might feel some, you might be able to identify with it a little bit. Sort of have a taste of it. But have you ever had your world crash down around you like that where you, you don't even see a way out? You know, maybe your parents split up. And, and, and you know, if that, as if that's not enough, right? This just sort of world disorienting reality. But then your, your grades start slipping. And maybe because of that, and, and then uh, something happens financially and, uh, you know, there's not enough money. And it just feels like the hits just keep coming. Um, maybe you get broken up with. And, and maybe because of that or not because of that, you, you also lose your good friends. And, and so, so now you feel very much alone and, and it just feels like heartache after heartache. It's just piling up on you. And in the midst of it all, or, or maybe you, know, you have some of those things going on, and in the midst of it all, you're, you pray about it, and you feel like your prayers just sort of go up and hit the ceiling and, and then just bounce back. Or that they just sort of go out there and just go out there. That God doesn't really care. Or maybe even that He's mad at you. And that there doesn't seem to be any, any way out. Maybe you've, maybe you've been depressed. Like clinically, actually depressed. And, and you don't see any light. You, you don't see any way out. Maybe you lose somebody really close to you. I can't, gosh, thinking about this uh, over the last little bit, I can't imagine, I can't even talk about it long here so we don't get, I can't imagine the darkness that I would enter of, of losing a child? I can't imagine. But right, this situation, what the psalmist is experiencing is the kind of darkness where, where Romans 8.28, right, just doesn't seem to get in, right? Where, where hey, God works all things together for, the, you know, it's just like, it's just not helping. Maybe even if you believe that content, it just doesn't seem to have any effect. There's no ray of hope. And look, we're, we're going to flesh this out. That's the rest of the sermon. But at least for now, I want you to see, if that's you, if, if you feel like that. Uh, and if you don't feel like that now, hopefully this will be preparation for that time. I want you to at least see that you're, you're at least in good company. Right, that one of the psalmists, think about that for a second. That one of, the, one of the psalmists, one of the men that God chose to write a portion of his word felt like that. Right, it's important to at least see that sometimes God's people feel like this. And it doesn't mean that you're on the outside. It doesn't mean that you're outside the covenant, that God has rejected you, that you're, that you're out. 
And we're going to, again, we're going to flesh more of that out right now. That sort of leads us to our second point. Secondly, we need to look at what the psalmist does. All right, so this guy who's, who's in the midst of this just dark, dark experience, what does he do? Well, uh, it's what we see in verses 1 through 18, right, which is the entire psalm. He cries out and he prays to God. Look at verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. And so this is sort of a two-parter. I want you to notice two things about how he cries out, how he prays. And the first thing I want you to notice is notice the honesty with which he talks to God. Right, this guy, the psalmist, what is it, uh, Haman, or it looks like He-Man. Um, the psalmist prays to God, and, and he expresses his feelings. He goes to God with his honest, raw, real feelings. He, he verbalizes the pain that he's feeling to God. And notice that he's not only honest about his pain and how he feels, but he's honest actually about the way that he thinks about what's happening to him. He's honest with God that he feels like God's actually against him. He says, you have done this to me. And also along those lines, I think we get an even sort of deeper look at that in verses 10 through 12. Look at 10 through 12. So you see in those verses, uh, he asks this litany of questions, uh, this number of questions, and it's each of those questions has the uh, expected or sort of obvious answer of no. Right? You see that? Are your wonders known in the darkness? Are your righteousness in the land of, of forgetfulness? And the, the assumed, the, the sort of obvious answer is No. And he basically seems to be asking in that section, why? He's praying to God and he's asking, why is this happening? What's the point? What good does, it, what good does any of this do? Right? Does, is, does anything good come if I die? Like if I die, you lose a worshiper and I lose my life. Does anything good come out of death and tragedy? The obvious answer is no. So what does that mean for us? Like, look, like we just said, it's, it's really an amazing thing that we have this psalm. Right? The, think about the fact that God ordained that this song be in his songbook. He chose this. Right? It's not like this guy wrote this psalm and said, I feel this way. And God's like, all right, I mean, I'll, I guess I'll let that go. Right? God ordained this. It was his idea. And look, it's at least a recognition that God knows that people that follow him are going to feel this way at some point. And that when we do, we can actually be honest with God about how we feel. Uh, he can handle it. He wants you to be honest. So much so that he gives you the words. It's like he said, look, there's going to be a time where you feel like, or there might be a time when you feel like this. And when that happens, you can talk to me like this. I want you to be honest. 
Right? It means that we don't have to suppress our feelings or sort of ignore them or, or cover them up or sugarcoat them. Right? That we don't have to do the like, but, but, but I mean, I'm fine. I'm fine with God. I mean, things are hard. Yeah, it's yes, tough season, but I mean, I'm okay. Right? That you can bring the way you really feel. We don't have to try to like beat those feelings down. Like, I, I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm frustrated with God. I'm not, uh, I'm not questioning him. I'm okay. You get to come honestly. He invites you to pray them. You get to say, God, I'm so depressed that I can barely get out of bed. And it's, it's ruining me. And I feel like you don't care at all. I am so lonely. Here at college, that's apparently supposed to be the time of my life. I am so lonely. And not only will you not give me a friend, it doesn't feel like you're my friend. God, I don't want these thoughts of of whatever. I don't want these thoughts of of suicide or self-harm or of of same-sex attraction or of, of worry and anxiety. I don't want these thoughts. And yet they do not stop coming. And you could make them stop. And you don't. Why? Right? You can bring what you really feel and what you really think. And I, right, isn't, that in a, isn't that sort of oddly hopeful? I don't know if that's the right word, but even in the midst of the darkness. The second thing I want you to notice about how he prays, I want you to notice the consistency or, or maybe the perseverance in his crying out to God. Right, this person is, this guy is utterly overwhelmed. He feels like life is crashing down all around him. There is no way out. Right, this is things are not going to get better. This is pain that will not end. This is depression that will not go away, and God is not listening. So, what does he do? He does all he knows to do, and he just keeps praying. He keeps crying out to God. Even to the God that doesn't seem to be listening. Uh, Look at verse 1. I cry out day and night. Verse 9. Every day I call upon you. Verse 13. I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning my prayer comes before you. It's It's like misery and darkness and distance. So I pray. And then there's more misery and darkness and distant cry out to God. And, and there's just more misery and darkness and distance. And what do I do? I, I pray. And it's just met with more misery and more darkness and more distance. What do I do? I do the only thing I know to do and I pray. He cries out to God in all honesty Right, you often hear the, the definition of insanity is what? Doing the same thing over and over, but expecting different results. 
Which, by the way, I've always thought, like, that's so dumb. Like, that's not the definition of insanity. But, right, this stubborn. But, but at some point, right, you're out of touch with reality, right? The idea behind the saying is you're out of touch with reality if you do the same thing over and over and you expect something different, right? But I want you to see here that there's a sense in which that's the only thing that brings any sanity into the darkness, He just, he does all he knows to do. He doesn't even necessarily, like he, he's in such a dark place, he doesn't even necessarily think it's going to help. It's just all he knows to do. And I think that's helpful and instructive for us that when you're in the darkness, if and when you get into the darkness, what do you do? You just keep crying out. It almost has the, the sort of the feel of like, I mean, what else can I do? Or the, um, this is all I know to do, feel. I just bring my pain and I bring my sadness to you. Um, I think we see something similar uh, in John chapter 6. And it's actually one of my favorite passages. Uh, At the end of John 6, basically it says that for for various reasons, people are starting to see more about Jesus and who he is and what he's doing and and a lot of folks don't like it. And it says that a number of those that were following him decide to not follow him anymore. And so Jesus looks at, at the 12, at his 12 disciples, and he says, do you want to go away too? And Peter speaks up, as he tends to do, uh, in verse 68, John six sixty-eight, uh, where'd it go? And so Jesus says, do you want to go too? And Peter says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I've always found that really comforting. Because it's like Peter is basically saying, yeah, I got plenty of like problems and questions and about all of this stuff and like who you are and what's going on. Like, yeah, I got, a, I got a boatload of questions about it all. And there's a lot I don't get. And there's a lot that just, in fact, maybe I don't even like. But... But you're the only one that can help. So I'm going to do all I know to do and stay with you. Even though there is a lot I don't get. You're the only, like, there's not life anywhere else. And you actually offer life. It's all I know to do. And so in the darkness, when God doesn't seem to answer when he doesn't seem to care, we bring our pain and we bring our our, our sorrows and we do the only thing that we know to do and we keep crying out to the only one that can help. And that leads us to our last point. Third thing we want to look at is what the psalmist can't quite see. I don't know that's a great title to this point, but um, I think we've said this every single week, which I think means I'm doing my job. But, but we actually have a huge advantage over these psalmists. Um, and we can understand these psalms in, in so much of a fuller way than, than these people could have really ever imagined. We can see, so, you and I can see something that the psalmist can't quite see. All right, so what is it? All right, let's go back to those questions that the psalmist asked in verses 10 through 12. 
Right? He's basically asking the question of, can anything good come from death and tragedy? And you know, why are you doing that? Can, anything, can this be any good? And he couldn't quite see that the answer to those questions is actually yes. Right? He is assuming the obvious answer is no. This makes no sense. But the ultimate answer is actually yes. Because things aren't always what they seem. And we know that because we're on this side of the coming of Jesus, right? How can anything possibly good come from death and tragedy and suffering? Think about this. One of the most amazing aspects of God's salvation is that he wrote himself into, his, into the story. Right? God, he's the creator of everything. He, he made the world. He made people. He, he, he authored this story. And it all went terribly wrong. And to fix it, he writes himself into the story. Now, how would you do that? Think about that. If you could write your story, if you could write, let's say, the rest of your life from here on out, how would you write your own story? Right? If you, and especially if I said, you know, and added the part like, and you can play the hero of the whole world. Go. Write your story. It certainly wouldn't look like the way he wrote it. Because think about it. He can do whatever he wants. And how does he write his own story? Um, well, first, he, he comes into this world as a baby, which he didn't have to do. But he's a baby that's born into a very poor family. And not just a poor family, but actually a scandalized family. A family that in some sense has a bad name, right? Because uh, by all appearances, mom got pregnant before they were married. And like, that was just not cool. Um, was born into a poor family, scandalized family, into a, a people group that's oppressed by a foreign government. Um, he's born into a family whose whose dad, who by Joseph, by all accounts, was a really great guy, dies when he's growing up. He loses his dad. And then he goes on to live a life that's characterized by sorrow. Um, his own family thinks he's crazy. He was betrayed. He was abandoned by all his friends that swore they wouldn't leave him. And keep in mind, in the midst of all this, right, his whole life, he was literally perfect, lived a perfect life. All so that he can experience uh, the end of his life being tortured and then dying about the most horrific death you can imagine. And not only did he die just a physically horrific death, but he actually experienced the wrath of God because he voluntarily took on the sin of his people. So think about the fact, right? At some point, Jesus sang Psalm 78. uh, What are we in? 88. And 78. He did sing 78, sang all, all of them. But Jesus sang this psalm. He took these words up. But what I hope you see is that he not only took these words up on his his lips, 
But he actually became Psalm 88. He became, in a sense, the ultimate embodiment of of the darkness. He was actually cast away from God. It wasn't metaphorical to him. He actually experienced God turning his face away, experienced his wrath. It was absolutely horrible. It's the worst thing. It's the worst thing ever. But the most horrible suffering in the history of the universe, it actually brought about the most beautiful and amazing and and almost unimaginable, amazing reality in the universe. And that reality is that you and I can actually be made right with God because of what Jesus has done. That That Jesus came, that God wrote himself into the story in the person of Jesus. And he endured the ultimate of Psalm 88. He took it all in our place. So that you and I can take up, can actually take up Psalm 88 and and sing it. When we feel like that. And we can do it and we can actually take up Psalm 88 and, and actually know that even though it feels like God is against me, there's no way he can be against me. When we feel like there's no way that God cares about me. Right? We have the benefit of, of knowing. And, and I think this, the only thing that can begin to bring a little ray of light into the darkness. Is that there's no way that this is because God doesn't care about me. Because he did that. He cared so much about me that he came. He doesn't even, he's not even himself immune to the Psalm 88 experience. In fact, he took it for me. And so now you and I can actually feel like we're in the absolute darkest of places. And we can, we can take up Psalm 88 and cry it to God. And we can keep crying out with the confidence that God does care. And we can cry out with the confidence that one day, someday, in an ultimate sense, we actually won't ever have to take up those words Again. Because it's going to be done with. Because Jesus did. And that's the good news. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for good news. We thank you for words like this that we can take up when we don't see good news. But that your good news of Jesus triumphs even in the darkness. And we pray this in your name. Amen.